You open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 once again. Let's pray. Father, as always, we are grateful to be able to gather together as believers. Father, we ask, Lord, that you would help us to continue to have a growing and better understanding of really the, the wonderful aspects of being able to worship together and how it really does encourage our hearts and strengthens us. We pray, Lord, that we would long to be together as believers and long to worship you. We pray, Lord, as we feed at, on your word, that, Lord, that you will give to us the nourishment that we need, again, enabling us to continue to grow in the grace, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that, Father, we may live lives that are pleasing to you, lives that are fulfilling and satisfying in every way. Thank you, Father, again, for always being here for us and being here with us. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. Paul writes, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory, Beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So Paul now turns to the topic that he's really already introduced. But again, this digression that he kind of is involved here, he's only doing it to really strengthen the assertion that he made in verse 1. And now the assertion is made again in verse 16. We do not lose heart. He says that he does not lose heart merely because he has a glorious ministry. It's not merely because he has a knowledge of God. It is not merely because, though being oppressed and afflicted, he sees the blessed result of ministry in others, but because our sorrows and our sufferings, his sorrows, his sufferings, the decay of the mortal body are only external. There is a spring of life within Paul. There is a spring of life within you and me that can never fail. The new life which comes to us from God through Christ. So the words there, lose heart, it means they do, he does not give in to evil. The, the Greek word there can convey the idea to become weary in or tired of doing something. It can contain or convey the idea of losing your motivation in continuing a desirable pattern of conduct. So instead, the person becomes faint-hearted or maybe despondent in view of a trial or in view of difficulty. Those individuals are at risk of losing their motivation to accomplish their intended goal. It conveys the idea of becoming exhausted, of giving up, maybe even of turning into a coward. The Greek word, Ekakeo is a strong Greek term which refers to abandoning oneself to cowardly surrender. So the idea here is that our redemption is drawing nigh. So take heart. Don't quit running the race. Don't quit fighting the good fight. When it comes to living the Christian life, when it comes to pursuing holiness, the idea is don't quit. Now as we talk about this idea today, Sometimes when it comes to our sanctification, living for God, becoming more holy, you know, there are 
I guess there's various schools of thought where there is an emphasis on either A, your growth and holiness, your progress is all done by God. There's truth in that. And then on the other side, there are those who say that you, know, you kind of have to grab yourself, kind of tighten your belt, tie your shoes up or lace up your boots, so to speak, and you need to get busy. And there's truth in that. There's, both those ideas are presented in the Bible. There is this idea that, that God is sovereign, God is strengthening us, God is working in us, God is working through us, God is working through our circumstances, but we are not passive in all of this. We are to really take life, take our life as Christians by the reins, and we are to live it to his glory. We are to use the mind that God has given us, and we are to make the determination that we're going to live in a particular way, and we're not going to quit, regardless of what's going on around us. Again, when Paul says we do not lose heart, that means we do not become discouraged. So even though there are discouraging circumstances, we do have, and we have a choice. How are we going to respond? No matter how we feel emotionally, remember that emotions are not to dictate how we respond. So we're not denying that the emotions are real. We're not denying that our emotions are genuine. And we're not going to deny that our emotions are strong. But if we live our life the way that God intends us to live, it should be our habit to not allow our emotions to dictate what we do, what we think, and how we respond to whatever what's going on. There is, in that sense, compared, to, I guess, to the rest of the world, there is to be a toughness that we have as believers. It has nothing to do with you being raised in an inner-city uh, um, home. It's got nothing to do with you being raised somewhere where there's always civil war, and so there's a result of that you've become tough. That can make you tough. But this idea is, is that because of the glory of Christ, because of all that he has done for us, because of the presence of Christ in us, we, and we understand life, and we understand the future, and what's in store for us, we don't become discouraged. We refuse to allow that to be our mindset. We may become exhausted because of our work and because of what we're doing. But we want to make sure we don't become exhausted and worn out through fear. If you live in fear, that can exhaust you. And as you and I become exhausted emotionally, we are more susceptible to temptation. We are more susceptible to sin. We are more susceptible to turning away from God and turning to something or someone else. Paul was a human being. He had earlier written, he said, we are burdened excessively. He admits that he was burdened beyond his strength. There are times that God would allow you and I to be burdened beyond our physical and emotional strength. But when that happens, he's not left us alone. He is there and he's going to strengthen us to withstand that pressure. He's going to give us what we need to be able to continue forward. It's not just dependent upon us where God's at the finish line. He says, well, come on. I mean, I'm, I'm allowing you to be burdened. I know your strength is gone, but you need, to, you need to... No, he joins you. He is with us, and he's going to enable us to carry forward. In other words, we can't carry on without his strength or without depending upon him. So Paul was saying that he did not despair. He did not 
uh, allow extreme despair or anxiety or fear of whatever was going on in life to deal him a heavy blow. Every single believer, all of us, are prone to lose heart from time to time. We're all, gonna, we're all prone to that. We're human beings. We become tired. We become tired physically. We become tired mentally, emotionally. We, we get worn out. And as a result, we can th then give in to these things. And so it would behoove us to ingest and to meditate on Paul's words in this section. Jeff Thomas is a, is a uh, I don't think he pastors a church anymore. He was pastoring a church for many, many years in Wales. Uh, he's in his 80s now. I do think he's still alive. He says this. He says there's three main reasons that Paul did not lose heart. He says, number one, we do not lose heart because we are renewed daily inwardly. And we all have kind of a concept of that if we've been a believer for a while because we talk about spending time with the Lord. Spending time with the Lord in prayer, spending time with the Lord daily and reading the scripture. Uh, and, and the idea there is that we, we want to be, we want our strength to be renewed every day as we live in dependence upon him. Secondly, he says we do not lose heart because our troubles achieve an eternal weight of glory. The idea there is that we have a biblical perspective, a biblical paradigm, that we understand that life is not only about just the here and now and what's in my immediate surroundings. That, that there is this plan, there is this goal that God has for all of us. And that whatever's happening to us is being used by God and will be used by God to bring him glory. And so we ought to have this eternal perspective. Thirdly, he says, we do not lose heart because our eyes are fixed on what is unseen and eternal. Our eyes are fixed on the Lord. We don't see the Lord visibly, but our eyes are fixed on him. We are, we are fixed on uh, our future home, being with the Lord for all of eternity. You may have heard a story or two through your years uh, about maybe someone who's gone through a great loss. Not necessarily a believer, but someone who's gone through a great tragedy. You know, we hear, them all, we hear all the time of these kinds of things taking place. Uh, where someone is, is newly married and then four months later... There, I think uh, just the other day, uh, one of the police officers in New York that was ambushed and killed, he'd been married for four months, right? And we just think of his wife and basically this life now they, they don't have, just gone, snuffed out. And we think, that we, you know, we think of that as being really incredibly tragic, even though the death of any police officer in that way would be tragic, again, because of the circumstances, we see that as being much more tragic. Perhaps we hear a story of an individual who's lost a young child to a disease or some great tragedy. But now that individual has, in a sense, turned their life around. Maybe they've become a counselor and they're helping others who face these kinds of losses. So they will often say things like this. Well, when it happens, you feel like when this great tragedy happens, you feel like you can't go on. And some will say even this, that God gave them the strength to go on. Some will say, I feel like God has given me this as a way to help other people live with it. That's kind of my mission, to help other people go on and to deal with the loss. So we, we, what we would say about that individual is, is that even though they were facing this great tragedy, they didn't lose heart. They found a way to move forward. And in most of these cases, they find a way to move forward by, by throwing themselves into something that's going to help other individuals. I know for a long time, I can't remember the name of the show, it doesn't really matter, 
but there was a guy that would come on, they would talk about crimes that have been done in, in recent history, and the individuals have not yet been found or arrested. And, you know, through that show, there were just a very large number of individuals who were caught for the things that they had done. But you find out about the host of the show, and what happened was we find out that his son was taken when his son was eight or nine or ten years old, and they found the body a little later because he was murdered. And so there was this great tragedy in this man's life. And so he poured his life energy into, into not allowing these other crimes where people have been victimized just to kind of die and wither. That he was going to add life to them and bring it to the attention of the public to try to enlist the help of others so we can solve these crimes and get some of these individuals off the street. And so he didn't lose heart. And if individuals can do that apart from Christ, I'm not sure what excuse we would have as believers, though we do go through times of great difficulty. All of us, I think, come to a point in life, maybe, maybe you haven't quite gotten there yet, but I think all of us at one time or another, maybe more than once, will come to a point in life when we aren't sure we have the strength to go on. When we say that, the idea is, again, as Christians, there's, there's a difference in that context. The idea is, is that even if you are despairing of physical life itself, you are despairing of whatever God has called you to do and to be. And so the idea is I, I, I don't think I can go on and live the life whatever God's called me to do. Even if it's not something great, we don't want to go on because we've allowed this grief or fear or anxiety to overtake us. The Bible has a lot to say when we feel that way. In fact, one individual pointed out that when it comes to the words strong, strength, and strengthened, those words occur over 500 times in the Bible. Here in 2 Corinthians, which is really autobiographical of Paul, uh, maybe more so than all of his writings, he describes again his heartaches. He's not held back. He's discussed his heartaches, his hardships in great detail. When you read through the scripture, he tells us about his whippings and his beatings and his fatigue and his rejection. But when you read all these things about Paul, you don't get a sense of gloom and doom. It's a book that's triumphant. The passage we read today is an important aspect of finding the strength to go on, whatever our circumstances are. Here he has said, he has determined, he will not lose heart. He writes to these believers as one who has gone through enormous tragedies and incredible circumstances and is encouraging them not to lose heart. So again, this is an individual who is wealthy and he's sitting in his house with armed guards and security and he has his food brought to him every day and he has a cook and a gardener, all the rest, and he says, don't lose heart. This is a man who's been in prison several times, left for dead a few times. An individual who's, as we mentioned before, where uh, on one occasion there was a group of men, 40 men, who had swore an oath to each other they would never eat or drink until he was dead. He was hated by so many, ostracized by his own people. Whenever his name was brought up outside of Christian circles, it was with disdain. They, would, they were making things up about him. And then even within the church, which we, as we've talked about before, uh, he's mentioning in this letter as he kind of talks a little bit about himself to commend it to them his message, not really himself. He is again bearing his soul because he's being rejected and lied about there in that church. But he still doesn't make it about himself. There is this onward dimension in Paul's everyday life. 
Again, verse 16 begins, so we, or therefore, we do not lose heart. The idea there is that he is connecting this paragraph with the preceding one, which we mentioned before, that Paul has talked about how he is cast down, but he's not unconquered. Remember verse 8, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. The past two days, uh, um, I've been listening to a book. You know, when I'm not reading a book, I like to listen to certain books. And it's, uh, it's the testimony and life story of a man who was born in Saudi Arabia, uh, who, be, who was born into a, a family of a very strong, strict uh, Muslims. Uh, his father was, they were from the sect that is the most radical um, of, of, uh, of the wing of Islam. Uh, many terrorists come from this group of, of individuals. You know, jihad is, is really lifted up as being a great thing that they want to engage in. And he becomes a believer. And he talks about when he becomes a believer, how his life is threatened and he was, you know, he was shot at. Uh, they tried to kill him by setting a trap for him and his, he, ran, he ran his car into a tanker truck and it blew up. Uh, he survived that, barely, but he survived. Uh, he was, one night he's driving through the desert to get to an airport and the SUV comes up and they just start riddling his car uh, with AK-47s and every, every bullet missed him. Um, there's all these stories, but also within the story he talks about his attempt at finding a, a body of believers to worship with and how in uh, many of these occasions he would maybe approach an assembly where there would be people from all nationalities, but because he was Saudi, they wouldn't let him in. There are different reasons for that, but it was always because he was from Saudi Arabia. They wouldn't let him in. It's just amazing. And to me, what was even more amazing was this, that he didn't lose heart. He, he was okay with it, but he was okay with it. He, he was not going to quit. He was going to keep looking. He finally gets to a point in his life where for a couple of years, and talk about dedication, um, he drove 13 hours one way so he could be at church on Sunday. Finally found a, a body of believers uh, that would welcome him in and so he would make that 13-hour drive there and then 13 hours back every week. And it was just incredible. His love for God, to him, that was, that was a long trip, but that was really nothing because he was desperate to do that, because he wanted to do that. I find it absolutely unbelievable. Paul's life was beset by struggles and suffering on every side, on every side, but Paul has basically done this, and this is what we see here. Paul has made up his mind that he was not going to lose his joy. He was not going to lose his enthusiasm. He was not going to lose his exuberance. He was not going to lose his victory, and he was not going to lose his morale. So there is a time in our lives as Christians that we need to recognize we don't just live passively and kind of wait for God to do something in us. This is, where we, this is where we are we, we are determined together that we're going to do this. This is the, the change that God brings in us. There's no time for us to feel sorry for ourselves and just keep reviewing all the pain that we go through and, and never go beyond that. Paul may lose sleep, but he wasn't going to lose heart. He may lose friends, but he wasn't going to lose heart. He definitely lost earthly fame and prestige. He lost wealth and comfort. He may even lose skin off his back, which he did. 
He did lose, I believe, years off his life because of what happened to him, but he was determined not to lose heart. As long as he has the promises of God in the Bible and the indwelling spirit in his heart, he was not about to lose heart. When you read through that, and then maybe coupled with experiences that we hear that other believers go through, when we get to a point that we lose heart, it just makes us look like we're really weak and cowardly. Now, we are weak. The flesh is weak. That's why we need each other. We need to gather together as believers to pray for each other and encourage each other. Because we need that help. We, we, the Christian life was never intended for us to live it alone. It was always intended for us to live it in really in a community, in a family, because we need that. Hebrews chapter 12, let me read to you from the Amplified, beginning of verse 2. This is looking away from all that were distracted to Jesus, who is the leader and the source of our faith, giving the first incentive for our belief, and also its finisher, bringing it to maturity and perfection. He, for the joy of obtaining the prize that was set before him, endured the cross despising and ignoring the shame and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Just think of him who endured from sinners such grievous opposition and bitter hostility against himself. Reckoned up and consider it all in comparison with your trials so that you may not grow weary or exhausted, losing heart and relaxing and fainting in your minds. You have not yet struggled and fought agonizingly against sin. Nor have you yet resisted and withstood to the point of pouring out your own blood. Again, to give you some quick background to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is a, is a letter written to second generation Jewish believers. It appears from the letter that this group of believers are trying to figure out a way to escape persecution that they can see coming their way. And, they, and they, want to, they want to escape that. And so this is their plan. Their plan is they're going to renounce Christianity and go back into Judaism and, and worship at the temple and make the sacrifices. And then when all of that kind of calms down, they're going to come back to Christ. And Paul basically, it was not Paul, we don't know who wrote it, but a lot of times we say Paul, but the writer tells them, you don't have that option. And he gives them several warnings in the letter. And then when he comes to this passage here, he says, look, all these things may be true, but we need to be looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Look what he did. He, he despised, in a sense, he looked down on this, this agonizing treatment that he received from others. He, he looked on it with contempt. It wasn't going to affect him. And he tells them here that he was not going to lose heart. And then he says, you haven't even resisted temptation to sin and shed your own blood. It was the idea is that until you shed blood resisting sin, yeah, you haven't really fought yet. That's kind of devastating. I have never resisted sin to the point of bleeding. I can honestly say I have resisted sin, just so you know I don't give in every day. But the idea that I'm, I'm so agonizingly fighting against sin that I'm literally bleeding to make sure I don't, that that's not happened in my life. And the author there says, if, if that basically the idea is you haven't done that, then what are you complaining about? Why, why, are you, why are you thinking of doing this, is the idea. 
Perhaps you are feeling hardships in your life right now. Maybe you feel like giving up. Giving up comes a lot of ways. It doesn't just mean that you don't want to live anymore. Maybe you're just tired of sharing the Lord with others. Or maybe you're tired of sharing the Lord with others in your family. And you just don't want to put up with it anymore. You don't want to put up with what they're going to say. You're just, you're just tired of all of it. So you decide, I'm just not going to say nothing. I'm just not going to go there. And when I go see him, I'm not going to, I'm not going to disappear on Sunday morning to go to church. Because I don't want to hear it. And so we, we give up in that way. There's a lot of ways we can give up. One of the greatest secrets to the prevailing life as a Christian is the refusal to give up or give in. The greatest leaders in human history and in the world of sports and athletics have all had certain things in common, and one of them is they refuse to give up even when things are grim. And we like that aspect of sports. Now, I don't know if any of you were, were watching last week, but in the football game between the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs, which is a pretty insane game, the Buffalo Bills scored a touchdown, and they were going to win the game. There's 60 minutes of playing time in the football game. There was 13 seconds left. We got it in the bag. The Kansas City Chiefs take the field, and what you didn't see was, oh, 13 seconds. What can we do? We got to go 60 yards just so we can try to kick a field goal to go into overtime? I mean, no one, I mean, well, what did they do? Every single one of them was committed to doing everything they could on every play to make it happen. The linemen blocking other linemen, the receivers running the routes, the quarterback running the ball, and, and then basically in nine seconds, they were in position to kick a field goal. And they tied the game. It was a hopeless situation in that sense. And then, you know, they go into overtime and there's a coin flip. You know who gets the ball first? If you score a touchdown, you win games over. I don't know if you saw this, if you were watching, but when Kansas City won the, the coin toss and they were going to take the ball, Mr. Hill, who is just one of the fastest men in the world who plays football for them, started celebrating because he knew they were going to win the game. That there was no doubt in his life they were going to win the game. And they won. When I was in college playing football, we were playing a team somewhere in Idaho. I don't know if it was the University of Idaho or if it was Idaho Tech. I don't know who it was. All I know is when I rode the bus there, um, everything was brown. So we go to the play school in Idaho, and uh, it was 16, 16 and a half time. Coach was pretty upset because we weren't playing really, really well. And he lit into us. And then the other coach came in and said, uh, Coach, it's time to go back out. And the coach said, they're not ready. And then they came back in and said, Coach, um, they're going to throw a flag. You get penalized if you don't get out of the locker room in time. He said, I don't care. They're not ready. We're all like, what's going to happen? You know, you, eventually you forfeit the game. And so he's just kind of going on and on. And the flag was thrown. And now we're, you know, we've been penalized. And uh, he finally says, uh, he wants to know if we're ready. And of course, you know, all a bunch of young men, 18 to 20, we start screaming and yelling, yeah, we're ready. And I guess it worked. We won 68 to 16. <laughs> and we pummeled them. But we see, we, we, we had given up for some reason, even though we weren't losing, we, we just weren't playing. Like, and so we need to be motivated to get back into the game. Now, I know that's sports talk, but that's Pauline theology. Paul said, we don't lose heart. We don't give up. 
We don't let up. We don't allow adversity to neutralize our calling. We press on. I do believe, and maybe a lot of you do as well, as we move forward in history, this time in our country, and all the stuff that's going on, without arguing about any details, what we know in general is true. It is becoming more difficult for Christians to live and speak as Christians. It's a fact of life. And there's going to be different things, some of them minor. Maybe it might start to become more major, but we're not popular. It's going to happen. And we need to make sure we don't lose heart. You, you can't give in. If that means you have to stop watching the news, then stop watching the news. But the bottom line is, is that that's not what you do to get ready. We look to Christ. He's told us this is going to happen. The world desperately needs Christ, but they don't want to hear about Christ. And so we need to be ready for this. And so when you are made fun of, when you are ostracized, when different things begin to, have, begin to happen, you and I don't have time to feel sorry for ourselves. Different things may be threatened in your life. I don't know if it's going to happen in my lifetime. I know I don't have much time left. I mean, I think I have 20 more years or so, but still, that's, that's kind of a short time. But the idea is, is that when it comes to the things are changing, and, and they are, they're getting worse in one sense. But we have to decide that we are not going to lose heart. We're not going to allow adversity to neutralize our calling because all of us have been called by God to live for him and to speak for him. That is the attitude that we must adopt if we're going to finish our course and keep the faith. Paul also tells us that the outer nature is wasting away. That's in the ESV. The NIV says outwardly we are wasting away. The New American Standard says the outer man is decaying. The Christian Standard Version says our outer person is being destroyed. He's talking about aging there, by the way, getting older. This material, physical nature, our bodies, these earthen vessels, the body, as he says, mortal flesh, the earthly tent, our house, uh, being at home in the body, all of that is, it's wasting away, period. Not just because you have a disease, just getting old, that happens. Charles Spurgeon says this, how regrettable for us if we were abandoned by our God. Old age robs us of personal beauty and deprives us of strength for active service. But it does not lower us in the love and favor of God. And then he adds, an ungrateful country may leave its worn out defenders to starve upon a scanty pittance. But the pensioners of heaven are satisfied with good things. The present tense of what Paul says here signifies that this process of physical decay, this deterioration, uh, it's unavoidable. You can have your Botox treatments. You can go get plastic surgery. It doesn't stop aging. You may look younger. You may look like you're from another planet. But in the end, you're still getting older. And your body's wasting away. The decay of our body begins from the day that we're born. There is no fountain of youth for the outer man, but there is a fountain of youth for the inner man. For the believer, the unavoidable truth of ongoing decay of the outer man is lessened by the truth of a corresponding ongoing renewal of the inner man. One paraphrase picks up this idea and says this, our inner being is, be, is, is renewed each day, even though our body is being destroyed at the same time. Oswald Sanders died at um, 90 years of age. 
when he was, uh, he had just finished his last book, which was on the subject of aging. In the introduction of his book, he makes this point. He says, it is possible to be realistic about aging without being pessimistic and depressed. Which I, I guess for a lot of unbelievers, that seems, how is that even possible? He said, realism and optimism with regard to the aging process can sleep in the same bed. We know that's true, based on observations through the years. When it comes to aging, we do have to be realistic. So you can be realistic and pessimistic, or you can be realistic and optimistic. Paul was, a, was realistic, and he was optimistic. And his secret was in the next phrase in the verse. In the next dimension of healthy living, the inward dimension, where he says, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. So in and of itself, the suffering he's been talking about, or aging, suffering and aging by itself will not make you holier. Unless we yield to the Lord and turn to his word and trust him to work, our suffering can make us far worse Christians than better Christians. Albert Barnes, who has a commentary on the Bible, says this on the, the idea of being renewed. He says, we are renovated, strengthened, and invigorated. The powers of our mind are expanded. Our courage becomes bolder. We have clearer views of truth. We have more faith in God. He says as he drew nearer to the grave and to heaven, the believer's soul was more raised above the world and was more filled with the joys and triumphs of the gospel. The understanding and the heart do not sympathize with the suffering and decaying body. But while the body becomes feeble, the soul acquires new strength and is fitting for its flight to the eternal world. And so as we get older, that should be us. We embrace the aging process in the same way we embrace suffering. We don't like it. We don't want it to happen, but it is inevitable. And we are filled with the knowledge that this is not all there is. That there is a time coming when there will be no more suffering. There is a time coming when there will be no more aging. That time is coming. It's a reality. And what God wants us to do as we live our life is not only this. It's not only looking to Jesus so we can have a happy attitude the rest of our life. He expects us to engage life, to live for him, to pursue the knowledge of God, to pursue holiness. We do so to please him and to influence others. As we get older, we should more naturally, I think, understand the most important things of life. We are more prone to having this greater wisdom that we can share with others. And even though we know that there's the foolishness of youth, we know we're not running around like a, you know, old curmudgeon scolding everybody. We want to have an influence on them. We want to give them the wisdom of how to live life to the fullest and to not to neglect the Lord. And you can tell them what happened to you because you neglected the Lord, or perhaps you can tell them how things went for you because you didn't neglect the Lord. We all have something we can share with them. But the key is not that we want them to be like us. We want them to learn from us to depend upon Christ. We want them to learn from us what God has done for us and that God can do for them. We want them to see in us that we've not lost heart. That's why it is kind of, it grates 
on me personally. I, I, I don't scold people in public, but it grates on me when we as Christians are just negative about stuff. It's okay to complain sometimes about some things, but if we're known as being the complainer, as we're known for it's always this and always that, why are we doing that? We know Christ, the creator of the universe, has given us life. I can talk to the creator of the universe every day. He renews my strength. You know he does. He answers prayer. It's an amazing thing. He answers prayer for us. You will not ever meet anybody by accident. Life can be fantastic. Man, it'd be great to be like Oswald Chambers and die at 90 when I finish my last book. I've not even written the first book, much less my last book. Or to be like, oh, what's the name of the guy from England who uh, has all the uh, orphanages? George Mueller, who decides at 80 to become a traveling evangelist around the world. He wasn't nuts. Because he wasn't like senile. I read some of his sermons that he preached after he was 80. It's astounding. It's the energy it takes, especially back then. I didn't want to pack my bag at 80. Let's just go around the world and preach for the... And he's just, it's incredible. And so what we need to recognize, whether you go around the world or not, is not the point. The point is, is that don't lose heart. And I don't want you to be excited... You know, when I was playing football and guys who play sports, you know, you get excited at halftime and go out there and win the game. But that's all just temporary. It doesn't sustain you to the next week. We've seen teams before who've had great victories come from behind. They go out the next week and play a team and they lay an egg. You're like, what happened to the team that didn't, couldn't even make a mistake? They can't even snap the ball without flubbing it up. You know, so it doesn't last long. But for us, it can be sustained. Because it's not based on rah, rah, you can do this. Go out there and fight the enemy. Now what it's based on is that we look to Christ, who is the author and finisher of our faith, who is with us every moment of the day. Amen. You know, when you and I pray, you do know. You, you don't have to stop, park your car, find a sacred place, and then pray. You can pray while you're driving, and he hears you. He's listening. He's ever ready to answer our prayers. You need wisdom? Ask. James says, make sure you ask in faith. Don't be like the doubtful man and, and be the one who's tossed to and fro and, and, and doubt. Believe that he will answer these things. Christ is, is eager to answer prayers that will bring glory to the name of the Father. And we should be thinking in that way. And so yeah, there are times that, that we do need to be encouraged. And so God seeks to use you and me in each other's lives. Not necessarily to give a, you know, the, the pep speech. It might be nothing more than, you know, I want you to know I'm praying for you. It may be to pray with them at that moment. It may be just to talk about how God's answered prayer in your life. Or to ask them how God has answered prayer in their life. And as we share those things, we, we become encouraged. Or what, what you've read in the Bible that stands out to you. Or what, what they've read in the Bible recently that stands out to them. Whether it's something new or something you're re reminded of. But all those things can serve, to, can serve to encourage us. I heard this, uh, that young man that I was listening to, he was not young anymore, but that, that book I'm listening to, he was at this one point where he was being arrested again and he was fully expected to be beheaded uh, because of in, in Saudi Arabia, if you convert to Christianity from Islam, uh, you, you can be beheaded. It's a common thing, it's not uncommon. 
And he thought that was going to happen. And so he was very, very fearful at that moment he was being arrested. And then he had this thought, which I thought was a great thought. He says, you know, I am immortal until the Lord is finished with me here. How great is that? I am immortal. You are immortal until the Lord is finished with you. And whether you are doing something that we might think is great in the eyes of many, or maybe it's just something that's great in the eyes of that one person that you, that you maybe want to touch because it's someone that you love dearly. What a great thought that, that leaps out of the pages of the Bible to encourage us because God is always there. He will never abandon you. He will never forsake you in life and in death. He is there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your grace and your kindness and the strength that you give us. We thank you, Lord, really, for the incredible sufferings of Paul. Not, Lord, that we are grateful that he suffered. Not that, Lord, we're happy that he suffered and maybe we don't suffer like that. But, Father, we are grateful that he suffered because we can see how a believer can triumph in the midst of all of that and be encouraged. Sometimes, Father, when we look at our lives and maybe the very little that causes us to fail, we become discouraged with ourselves. We ask that you would forgive us, Father, for our weakness. Maybe there's been a time or two, or maybe more, where we've been kind of cowardly for whatever the reason. When we think of those times, Father, and then we're reminded of Romans 8.1, which says that for those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. All we can do is say thank you. And then to know, Lord, that you, as long as we have breath, you're not giving up on us. You will continue to work in us and through us. So, Father, we pray that you would give us the courage that we need to face life. Not just to hold on for dear life and try to get through, but to face life, maybe to attack life with great boldness. To live life to the fullest to display the wonders of the strength of Christ that resides within us, to choose to not lose heart, to choose to not despair, to, yes, experience grief, maybe even deeply, maybe even at times experience great fear, but never where it lasts, always where we overcome because of Christ. So, Father, we pray that we will be more sensitive not only to what we are going through in life and seek the help from you, but perhaps we should be more in tune with what's happening in the lives of others so we can pray for them as well. They will be strengthened with the strength of your Spirit. Prepare us, Father, for whatever's coming ahead. We believe, Lord, that you will and that you are. We look forward, Father, to all that is happening. Because you know, Lord, it eventually leads to the time when your son will return. And the death blow, the final blow, will be dealt to sin. How we thank you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.